The ultimate reason to give money, cash, currency, legal tender, long green, doe lucre, moolah. I like, I like moolah. We never have enough moolah, do we? Bucks, all names for something that, that we, we really care about and hold dear. I, I think it's, it's, it's a commodity that, that you and I need to live, to survive, to exist, to have any kind of quality of life. And we ask ourselves, is God interested in how we spend our money? Well, absolutely. Why? Does he need our money? No. But in the way that we give and the way that we use our money, it shows where this is at right here. It shows exactly where our heart's at. They say, and I've read before and heard people say that you can tell some, something about somebody's faith in their heart is by looking at their checkbook, actually. It shows how much we love him and how much uh, we're devoted to him. It shows how dedicated that we are and committed we are in serving him and our fellow man. Because the core of our giving, God knows that we are giving him something that is very vital and precious to us. God loves generous people. Those who are in awe of him, those who delight in doing what he asks us to do. Psalm 112 starts out like this in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Yes, happy are those who delight in doing what he commands. Verse 9, the same psalm. They give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. They will have influence and honor. The Apostle Paul quoted this verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 9. As the scriptures say, godly people give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. God loves generous people, but sometimes money has a very adverse effect on people. Old Mr. Greed turns over or takes over and turns some folks into this guy. Ebenezer Scrooge, who true people like this when it comes to money. Let's watch this clip. George C. Scott is Scrooge. Hey, Oh, Ebenezer, we were afraid you weren't coming. It's almost closing, sir. Well, I'm here, aren't I? I? I said you'd be here. Didn't I say Ebenezer Scrooge would be here? I knew you'd change your mind. Right, I have changed my mind. Oh, good, then you'll take our bit. The price has gone up. Gone up? But that's not possible. You want my corn, gentlemen. You must meet my quote. Plus 5% for the delay. That's outrageous, Scrooge. You'll be left with a warehouse stuffed with corn. Well, that's my affair, isn't it? But if we pay your price, our bread will be dearer. The poor will suffer. Buy the corn someplace else. Good day, sir. Scrooge, a moment. We'll take your corn at the price you quoted yesterday. Too late. If you wait until tomorrow, it'll cost you another 5%. Damn it, Scrooge, it's not fair. No, but it's business. I'll give you a moment to make up your mind. All right, Scrooge. Done and done. Very good, gentlemen. Now, make sure that a draft for the entire amount of this transaction is deposited with my clerk. I don't ship until I have the cash in hand. Good day. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, I presume. Indeed you do, sir. You don't know us. Nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass. Uh, let me explain, sir. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. 
provision. Are you seeking money from me then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said, that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. Not a lot of compassion in Ebenezer, was there? You know any Scrooges? who have tight fists, and the needs of others have no bearing on them because it's, it's all about me and if I can take care of myself. There's a vast difference between Ebenezer Scrooge types and Jesus Christ, God with skin on. There used to be years ago, I don't know if I see him so much anymore, but WWJD bracelets and all kinds of things, what would Jesus do? This next clip is from one of my favorite guys. He's a little rash sometimes, and... He probably upset some people, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his job. But he asked this question if Jesus would drive a luxury car. Let's watch and hear his take on this. Can a Christian own a BMW? I know the BMW listeners and watchers of this video are going to say, what are you talking about? What's wrong with owning a BMW? Well, you know, we all want to be wear this little pin. What would Jesus do? WWJD. Change the last word. What would Jesus drive? If Jesus had $60,000 and knew that he could use $50,000 to buy food for hundreds of starving kids in, in Haiti or in Kenya, Okay, I got $50,000, I got uh, $60,000. I could take $50,000 and feed all these hungry kids. And with the $10,000 that are left, I can go down to Hertz or Avis or Enterprise, rent a car, and buy a second-hand car for $10,000 that will ride just as well. Granted, it's a year old, and it's a Ford, or it's a Chevy, and I want a BMW. And I'm asking the question, why? Well, it rides better. True, it does. But we're talking about feeding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of starving kids. Is it really worth it? Well, it's more than that. Everybody knows that the BMW or a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce is not just an automobile. It's a what? Status symbol. You got it. It's a status symbol. Here's what it says about Jesus on the second chapter of Philippians. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You can't get any higher status than that. Emptied himself. The word in the Greek is kenosis. 
He set aside all of his status, took upon himself the form of a servant. The word in the Greek is doulos, which means slave. How much status does a slave have? And if that doesn't capture the message, the next word is this, and made himself of no reputation. No status at all. The king of kings, the creator of the universe, becomes a baby in a manger in a beaten down, occupied nation with no place to lay his head, spat upon, cursed, humiliated. Read the 53rd, 54th chapters of Isaiah. See what it says about Jesus. You're going to be a follower of Jesus who made himself of no reputation and you're going to buy a car because it gives you status. Do you not see an incongruity between status-seeking Christians and servant types like Jesus. Oh, Tony, he's always got something controversial to say. I just thought it was something to think about. But we're not talking about Tony Campolo this morning. We're talking about you, you and me. What's your giving plan? Do you have one? And if you do, I hope it's patterned a little more after Jesus than Oh Ebenezer. Here's three levels of giving for you as a follower of Christ to just consider. Because you and I both know you're, it's up to us what, how much of this we give. It, nobody else makes the decision. Of course, in our houses, Jeff and I, it's Belinda and Diana Marie. But nonetheless, we, you get my point. Three levels of giving. One is should give. Giving as God has prospered us. Level two is could give. Planned giving, whether it's 3% or 10% or 15%. But you have a set amount that you've, you've promised to God that every week, no matter what, you're going to give that amount to God. Third level is would give. Faith giving with the attitude that says, God, I would give it if you'd bring it in for me to give. It's saying, God, I don't have a clue where this money's coming from, but if you bring extra money into my house, it's yours. This is a supernatural. It's a God thing. It's, it's way beyond us. You are making a plan to give God money you don't have or don't know where it's coming from. It's a must that we as followers of Christ have a plan in place. The big idea is we need a faith plan to give. Why? Because unless you have a plan that allocates the income and outflow, you're not going to recognize God's blessing on your life when it comes. Now, Diane and I... Uh, we have money that our tithe taken out of our check. It's a plan that we give. And I'm a little hurt this morning because John Ray thought I stretched the truth in the first service, which I really didn't. But, uh, it, it, it started out like this, that um, I said, I know my wife's not here because I'm going to say something about her. And then Pat Steele pointed her out, and she was hiding in the dark. <laughs> but John Ray thinks I changed my story. I, I didn't, John Ray. As, as God is my witness. <laughs> You ever had to swear on a Bible? Any, any husbands in, in her, their wife ever make them swear on a Bible? You don't have to raise your hand. But anyhow, that brings the truth out of you. What I said about what I was going to say anyhow was uh, my wife's one of the most generous people I know. And that's all I'm going to say about that. In the words of Forrest Gump. <laughs> one day, you and I, all believers, will stand in front of Jesus. We'll stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And all of our giving is going to come to light. <laughs> All that we have done in the kingdom is going to come to light. So with that in mind, in Mark 6, 30 through 44, a well-known story, there's some principles in there that we can apply to our plans for giving. Jesus feeds the 5,000. 
The apostles returned to Jesus from the ministry tour and told him all they had done and what they had taught. Then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And they left by boat for a quieter spot. But many people saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and it is getting late. Send the crowds away so they can buy, go into the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus says, you feed them. With what, they ask, it would take a small fortune to buy food for all this crowd. How much food do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves in pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples to give to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And they picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves. 5,000 men. What the miracle in a sense is this, that it doesn't say there were women and children with them as well. So as far as the crowd, it, it was thousands of people, that, more than five actually. It's an amazing story. But from this story that Jesus uh, was telling, we can glean six steps on how to develop a faith plan to give. Step one Get alone with Jesus. Jesus instructed his disciples to come away by yourselves to a lonely, quiet place and rest a while. We have to get in that, our closet, wherever that might be, where it's still, where the, we can hear the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. Step two, don't allow your plan to become your God. Mark 6, 34 tells us that when Jesus returned, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had already made plans to go away to a quiet place and rest, but these, these changed. He saw the needs of many. Plans change, so we can't have a plan that's so rigid and unaltered, the commitment that it can't be changed. God changes plans sometimes. Step three, look beyond what is practical in giving. Mark 6, 35 through 36. Jesus suggests that the crowds be sent away so they can buy food before it gets late. But what's wrong with this advice? It's not the plan that Jesus had intended. It's practical and logical. A lot of times in the human mind, we go on the practical and logical. And sometimes the practical and logical excludes faith. The faith, it takes, it, 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 it takes risk to have faith. It, ha it takes risk for us to follow Christ. And I do believe it's in this same way. God's way sometimes doesn't make sense to us. But it's always the right way. Step four, obey God with no questions. Next, Jesus instructs his men to have the people sit down. That really makes little sense because they had no food to feed them. But they obeyed him nonetheless. If he says to give, we need to give. Step five, don't expect to know how God's plan will be reached. So the disciples tell the people to sit down in verse 40. Three elements were present and are always present in the faith plan. Number one, the disciples could not see how the people would be fed. Likewise, we may not see how our financial goal is going to be accomplished. Two, they did not have the resources to meet their objective, which may also be the case with our financial plan. Man, God really desires you to give to a program, to a plan, to Haiti, whatever, and it's just not there. Number three, they did not know the next step to take to fulfill God's plan. That's why it's a faith plan. We have to rely on God and not on ourselves, and in step six is this. 
expect the goal to be reached. It was a big miracle that God, all that food that was left over. The results of operating according to a faith plan are that goals will be reached, that God will be glorified, and personal growth will result. When I pray for people, I love them, and I pray for their healing. But the bottom line, or the top line, if you will, that God be glorified, that God get the praise through Revive Sullivan and all the things that's happened. It, it's not we do. What we do, it's what he does. And the end result is we give God the praise when we stand and praise him. That, that is the point about us giving ourselves to God and our time, our talent, our treasures. So my challenge to you is don't leave God out of your plan for giving. Don't close your mind to what may look like impossible goals and don't miss that miracle. He just wants you to take the first step. It's like our brother was preaching last night at Revive that he had his recliner up on the stage. He said it was his lazy chair. He liked to sit in it and watch TV or do whatever, but I think too often we sit in our spiritual lazy chair. We have to get up and take that first step, and then God kicks in, but he's not going to bless you while you're sitting there rocking in that chair. That is the point. And as a result, our giving can bring joy and pleasure to you. We need a faith plan to give. The ultimate reason to give is in two parts. One, it pleases God when we obey. Secondly, God wants us to give so he can pour out his blessings on us. I think we would be astounded if we ever realized what was behind curtain number one in heaven. Your name's here. And in this closet, in this place, it, the blessings, there's so many in there, they're starting to peek out through the cracks. But unless we obey, unless we do what God wants, he will not pour those blessings out on us. And it's, it's when we ask you to give, it's for your good. I, I think sometimes that, that gets fuzzy. And people get upset with preachers because all they do is talk about money. It, it's one of the main reasons people don't go to church is because when we go, that people say, well, all they're going to do is ask for our money. Well, in all honesty, it's not our money anyhow, but the point is, is when we do that, when we say that, when we instruct you to do that from this pulpit, it's for your benefit. It's because it's going to bless you. From 201 class, which Diane teaches, and you've had the class, you remember these seven benefits to my life, why God wants me to give. It benefits you. Benefit number one, giving makes me more like God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3, 16. Two, giving draws me closer to God. Where your treasure is there, your heart is also, Matthew 6, 21. Number three, this is the third benefit. Giving is the antidote to materialism, which we are up to our noses then. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be generous and willing to share in this way, they may take hold of the life that is truly life, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Number four, fourth benefit, giving strengthens my faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your income, and he will fill your heart. Barns to overflowing, Proverbs 3, 5, and 9. Luke 6, 38, given it will be given to you, for with this measure you use it will be measured back to you. Benefit five, giving is an investment in eternity. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, give happily to those in need and always be ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And then the sixth blessing, giving 
blesses me in return. A generous man himself will be blessed, Proverbs 22, 9. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed, Proverbs eleven twenty five, And then Psalm 112, 5, good will come to him who is generous. And then lastly, giving makes me happy. Jesus said there's more happiness in giving than in receiving, Acts 20, 35. You that are givers know that. What a, what a joy it is to, to give somebody something and see it on her face. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's givers and they're takers. A lot of times when I do premarital counseling, I, I say this. One of you is more of a giver and one of you is more of a taker. But for this relationship to work, those roles have to be reversed because the taker just can't keep taking because that giver won't keep giving completely because it messes them up. And I think it's like our relationship with God. A lot of time we want to be takers. God bless me. God bless my family. God give me this desire in my heart. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But there's got to be times where we turn that around and like mirrors we reflect the blessings of God in our generosity. Takers are, to me, sometimes more like Scrooge and givers are more like Jesus. Who do you think's the happiest? Did Scrooge look happy in that clip? The question is this morning, which are you? You know, I, I, I want to be a giver because my hero Jesus is a giver and I want to be like him. So this morning as we close, I challenge you to pray and that you have a, a plan to give. It's a, it's a faith plan that you might see the mighty, almighty hand of God working to build his kingdom. That's one of the things that have in, has impressed me immensely with, with Fennel and Mimi in Haiti. They have no health insurance. They don't have any, they don't have any planned income coming in. They live totally by faith, and God has really blessed them. When he was talking about that $40,000, he wanted to get them kids out of the city and up on the side of that mountain. So this is another thing that's beyond me, that in a, in a third-world country that is all rocks and hilly, not hardly a flat place, they wanted $50,000 for five acres. This is where we've built and helped build this compound. So uh, over at Salisbury, my home church, uh, they were taking up an offering for Haiti, and some guy from Chicago that didn't even go to church there put in a check for $40,000. How do you explain that? It's a God thing. It was the Holy Spirit working in his heart, and he obeyed. Fennell didn't know when that was, where that was coming from. So he gets this money and offered the person in the land 40000 and they took it, and that's how that came to be. And, that, and that's, that's how he lives his life. Do any of us live that way? We're pretty, pretty much sure we're, the majority of us are going to get a check after we work all week. But just to get up tomorrow and say, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to live by faith. Wow, that, that's, man, you talk about inducing fear in us. Because we like security. Can we actually say that Christ is really our security? He might be second or third on most of our lists. He should be first. It's just, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to me. So this morning as we close, and I always like that when preachers say it in closing, and they say it eight times. <laughs> well, I've said it twice. I apologize. I usually don't do that. But, <laughs> but just, 
just be honest with God and, and maybe dedicate yourself in a new way to be a giver. And I know giving goes a lot farther beyond than just our money. It's our time, it's our talents, and our treasures. But you guys are a given bunch, and I love you for it, and you're generous. But there are some of us that maybe aren't, haven't made that switch yet. I don't always preach what I want. Because if I preached what I want, we'd have a kazoo band up here and we'd all be wearing party hats and streamers and blowing those things. But that, God says you've got, you got to get serious sometimes. And we got to do what this says, the whole book, the whole part. But I tell you these things for your benefit, not to drag you through the coals or hammer you for not giving. It's the fact that God wants to bless you, and that's my prayer for you. Lord, I love these people. I lift them up to you. And I know, Lord, just like I said, you, you have tons of blessing for us if we are obedient and if we are givers. And I know a lot of these people enjoying those blessings now. But for those that's holding back, Lord, I just pray that you realize that the benefits that you want to pour into their life. Thanks again for loving us. Just help us to be good kids and honest kids as we sing this last song. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.